Welcome to Mind the Shift. My name is Anders Bolling. In the very first episode of this podcast, we had a conversation about democracy and how it's faring in the world. The take on the issue by my two guests then, Mikael Sandberg and Max Ronge, was that it might not be as bad as is as in as bad a shape as many claim. And they based that on an enormous amount of regime data. Now, democracy entails a number of attributes, but it doesn't have one undisputed definition. So the conversation about its health is poised to continue, of course. My guest today is Folke Tersman. He is professor of practical philosophy at the University of Uppsala in Sweden. And he also holds a position at the Institute for Future Studies in Mm. Stockholm. Thiersmann just came out with a topical book that he co-wrote with philosopher Torbjörn Tensche. It's called People and Will, Folk och Vilja in Swedish, with the subtitle A Defense of Democracy in Our Time. Welcome to the show, Folke. Mm, Thank you very much. Uh, You argue that we are in this book, that we are in a sort of interregnum, interregnum, I don't know how you pronounce that in English, Mm. but interregnum between regimes, so to speak. So, which means that the old hasn't died and the new can't yet be born. So, uh, the question is, and your hope, as I understand it, is that this period will last for as short a period of time as possible. How would you describe this kind of limbo of our time what is what is this interregnum thing ah uh, yes uh, so i mean in your first show uh, uh, these uh, uh, persons uh, kind of indicated that um it is um, we're in a period where um the picture of democracy and its successes is a bit mixed and uh, it's true that uh, democracy has had a lot of success the last three, four decades. Um, we have seen a great growth and and we can still see positive signs uh, across the world. But we also see all these uh, worries, um, uh, right-wing populism, um, inequality, growing inequality and so on and so forth. And what has taken place uh, during these decades is, um, according to our analysis, that a lot of the power that national governments used to have has been transferred to other agents or actors in society. So in the 70s, even uh, up until uh, the 80s, uh, national governments had a lot of influence over what happened in their countries and and they could... uh, promise their voters to do stuff, uh, various things, and then actually do them. Um, But then uh, the economy has been, shall we say, liberated Mm -hmm. uh, through globalization. And what that has meant, that has had enormous implications, of course, for life, for everybody. But one aspect of this process is that um, national government, the influence, the sphere of influence of national governments have become has has become more limited. Yeah, and this is simply since uh, multinational corporations can put a pressure on national governments and say, you know, if you don't lower taxes, if you don't do so and so, then we <clears throat> might take our 
resources, take our plants, uh, take our jobs and move elsewhere where they have uh, conditions that we find more uh, viable or better. Mm. So national governments are today in, uh, I mean, they they, they are pressured today by this uh, globalization process, which has undermined their ability to help people uh, with their lives mm. basically in the in their country but has this happened now during the last few decades or because if you, if you go back even further i mean 100 years back or uh. when democracy started more or less in the, in the 19th century and early 20s would you say that that governments had more agency then than they have today or that companies had less agency at that time or is this something that Well, everything was more local. Of course, we had globalization al- already in the 19th century. The, the, yeah, for some, the, for some people. True. For some people. But, but uh, a lot of what um, determined the life ex- life um, lives of these people was determined by uh, local factors, I would say, or local decisions made uh, by politicians, but also corporations, of mm. course. Mm. But I am mostly comparing with... The situation um, a, couple, uh, a few decades ago, okay. say in the seventies, sixties, seventies, something like that. Okay, and uh, and and I would say the interregnum comes from the fact that while the economy has developed in this direction, uh, the political sphere has not yet adapted. And what we are waiting for and and proposing is that you know the political sphere must adapt more quickly to this new situation uh, to regain, shall we say, the um, agency of democracy. Okay, the so the politicians have to catch up with the companies. Yeah, the we, we have to catch up. The... We have to catch mm-hmm. up as a, as a society. Yeah, we have to catch up. okay. So I'm, I'm going to come back to the question about we and they, because I think that's kind of interesting. Okay. Definition yes. of who is we and who is we. Anyway, so this is... Uh, As you are mentioning here, there's a, there's a change in the meaning that the, uh, there has been a flight over to so-called populist parties, right-wing mm. parties often, but often also left in some countries left-wing populist parties, yes. what we call populist parties, um, and also uh, vo- voter voter flight in general that people don't vote as much as they did in some countries. But anyway, there have been kinds of some kinds of changes in that respect, and how much of that recent flight from the classic let's say the classic left right parties is due to and here i come to something that you haven't really uh, touched upon as yet uh, we're talking about the polarization and and social media's role mm. in these things mm. how much is of this flight that i'm talking about from the classic left right parties is due to voters being manipulated by polarized media and populist leaders and how much is due to the opposite that there is some kind of um, uh, political awakening maybe uh, among people, that people are starting to think think mm. for themselves, if you see what I mean. Because uh, sometimes people are talking about they're so scared that this is happening, but maybe, maybe what's happening is that people are actually not just voting as their parents did or their grandparents or their neighbors. They just think for themselves, and then it gets messy. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I mean it's a very complex uh, situation. I think uh, manipulation uh, and and polarization via these new media uh, plays some role in this development. Uh, 
I, I should also say, and what you're kind of indicating, is that the internet has uh, given us resources to uh, pursue a, a more open discussion than before. I mean, more actors ha have uh, gotten the opportunity to get involved, which I think is on the whole a good thing. Uh, there are bad things about this development, of course, also, um, and we have seen that in recent uh, um, elections, for example, manipulation. But we think that these phenomena are a little bit more superficial than the more fundamental causes of the situation today. So it's true that people have turned to right-wing parties and also to left-wing parties, and sometimes people go from left-wing populist parties to right-wing populist parties, and perhaps the other way around. I think a lot of the people who voted for Trump in the 2016 election voted for Obama uh, mm. uh, before. Uh, and they, what they have in common is not much, but they were bo both seen as outsiders. So I think that could be seen, and, and this is something we argue in the book, uh, could be seen as a reaction towards the notion that it doesn't really... I mean, if we look at these more conventional po political parties and conventional politicians, it doesn't really matter who we vote for. Mm. We still get the same result. And we're citing a study in the, in the book which has uh, surveyed a lot of uh, political decisions in the United States, and their result was that, you know, it doesn't really matter how, how the middle class votes. Uh, 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 what, what determines the outcomes of these decision-making processes is basically what the elite believes or, or wants. So if the richest 5% say want something, then it's going to happen. If, if, if the elite says no, then it's not going to happen independently of who is actually making the decision, if it's a Republican president or Democrat president or, 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 or in, at other levels of government. So, and I think that has kind of led to the sense that the feeling that it doesn't really matter what we do, we, and, and which understandably, I think, leads to protest voting mm -hmm. or to, you know, mm -hmm. you want to... Democracy is about being heard, mm. basically, and and to go to these extremes is a way to be. Heard. Yeah, well, it's kind of understandable then, and maybe wise even from the voters yeah, to, uh, to to react in that way. Exactly, and I, I think it should. It, it we we shouldn't just look at manipulation, social media, or that people have suddenly become more stupid or whatever. We don't think that's the right way to approach this. The right way is to see it as a response to a real problem mm. that we need to address. And you reason a little bit, uh, or qu quite a bit actually, in the book also around this issue of elite, as you're talking mm. about the elite and, and, and the rest. So who is the elite? Is it, yeah, I mean, I mean you the, don't really answer that question in the book because I guess it's a very no. difficult question to answer. No, um, I mean, there are lots of definitions, of course, and, and they can be suitable in different contexts. In this study that we are citing, they simply took the richest people. I mean, mm -hmm. they didn't look at education level or, or whatever. And I guess, um, and you could use more other de definitions, of course, when we, and I think that's enough. I mean, to see, to see that a, a, a big chunk of the population uh, uh, does not have much influence. I mean, it doesn't really matter who the elite is. Um, I mean, it's a bad thing. 
mm. anyway, because mm. democracy is about political equality, mm. uh, of course. When we discuss the elite... But do you mean to say that the, the, the politicians, the result of this study that you're citing here is that the politicians, they go... They they go with what the rich people want. want yeah, to, simply want because be they they are you know they need money to 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 pursue their campaigns, and that's the case in in the U.S. This is the United States, yes, of course. In, yes. in so the United maybe States. it's a bit different in Europe. Yeah, it's different in Europe, but uh, similar studies in Germany has has provided uh, have provided similar results. Okay. And there we have other mechanisms. I mean, in Sweden we have elements of something called soft corruption. I mean, politicians go straight from having a top job in, in in the government to to the private sector and can can bring all his or her networks and and so on and so forth so so we have sim i mean the situation probably is not as bad as in the US mm. uh, i would say but but we have similar related mechanisms that provide uh, produce similar results i would say so when people see this uh, whatever the people is i mean i Maybe we should delve a little bit more deeper into that. <laughs> okay. who, let's start in that end. Who, who is we and who is they? <laughs> yeah, I mean, so who is the people? The we. We are simply talking about citizens. Um, in but general. I mean, rich people are citizens. Yeah, politicians of course, are citizens. So, so the, they, they should have a say. We, we're ob- obviously Democrats here, and they should have a say. But, but the ideal of democracy is the ideal of political equality, of course. So, so we should at least approach a situation where, where, in some sense, each citizen has an equal chance of of influencing uh, the decision making. Uh, uh, and that's what we see as a problem. Then, then we talk about the elite in another context, and maybe I should elaborate that a little bit. When we are discussing uh, the objections to democracy, so one very common objection to democracy is that, you know, um, a lot of people lack the type of education that is needed to ma- to to reach good decisions. Mm-hmm. Therefore, we should uh, limit their influence of politics. Um, And that can be a very radical type of criticism, which we find, uh, um, which we reject. I mean, saying that, you know, democracy might not be such a good idea after all. We we, we disagree with that, obviously. But we think it is important, uh, an important advantage of the representative system is that if we have representatives who devote some of their lives to to political decision making, gathering of information, and so on and so forth, uh, that uh, uh, inspires or or cons- constitutes a learning process that might uh, address the problem of uninformed decisions without uh, giving up on democracy. Mm-hmm. Mm. Okay. So when the people, uh, if I mean, <laughs> again, the, the people, m- a majority of the voters see that this is hap- the the thing that you were talking about before is happening. That the um, the politicians they go with what the rich people say or want uh, in any in in any at any instant. I mean, regardless of what what the the kind of if it's if it's a left wing party or right wing party in charge. Uh, then they they see this, and perhaps they see it more clearly now than they did 50 years ago or 60 years ago mm. or 40 years ago, and they uh, feel resentment mm. towards that, and they think that no, this is not working. 
the politicians are just uh, they're not doing what we what what the majority of us want mm. anyway so what's the point of this uh we need something different is that a bad thing to think in when it's going that way no no i think it's 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 right to re- respond to this lack of responsiveness from the uh, i mean that that the political system has today and uh, we've cited another fact which i think is interesting and that's you know in sweden we we have a uh 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 quite a, a large voting turnout people go and vote yeah. into parliament and they have done for a long time it's about 80% or something yeah like yeah and it goes up and down a little bit but mm-hmm. it's pretty impressive i think but in some groups um the turnout has gone down for a long time um especially in these groups that are now voting for sweden democrats mm-hmm. for the kind of right wing populist party in in, in sweden and and now uh, voting in that group has also gone up mm. and i think that is a um memento um that means something uh, um the, the, and 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 it also illustrates i think a good thing about the swedish system namely that we have this uh, proportional um representation uh, uh feature So uh you can vote for a party which only gets say 5% of the vote and you still get representation in parliament mm. whereas in countries like the US and and the UK uh, that's not the case so big you know my minority views are never represented in 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 uh, in these uh, um, bodies yeah so that yeah, that is a good thing where i think swedish uh, type of democracy is more adaptive to yeah, yeah. to this okay. situation Parliamentar- parliamentarism mm. Mm. um and what's happening now in sweden as you say these these as if i understand you correctly the the groups that that are sympathetic towards these right wing populists mm. they are voting their voting vote, voting turnout is is more in, than increasing mm. yeah which means that um, there is the, they they have <laughs> realized that these sweden democrats are something to Or, or, or is a party is a force to be reckoned with yes and maybe they will come to power someday and and in your book you don't you don't reason anything around what is good or what is bad about the politics in itself is, isn't that so because uh, well, you, you're, you're reasoning around democracy, democracy and the, the democratic yeah. system and mm. whether it's working or not or whether it's it's uh, actually representing what the people wants or not 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 really if it's right or left or liberal or socialist or Whatever. No, exactly. We we want a, a democracy without a prefix. We said. I mean, yeah. we are not we're not in favor of liberal democracy, not in of social democracy, or or socialist democracy, or whatever. We are just for democracy, yeah. and that's not based on some idea that democracy always leads to the morally best uh, decision or or whatever. Uh, that's not our argument. Our argument is that by and large, if you compare this system with other systems i mean more authoritarian ones this is better mm-hmm. uh, that's yeah. our um that that's our argument but you do reason a little bit around uh, inequality which is uh, often mm. something that people on the left wing mm. uh, do mm. <laughs> in the book uh, and and you you say in your in the book that that uh, there is a, there has been an increase an increase in 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 inequality i mean you are not the only ones to say this no. we have many books have been written about this uh, uh french economist uh, 
what's his name now? Thomas Piketty. Piketty mm. uh, wrote this famous book about about exactly this uh, this phenomenon and also, uh, yeah, Wilkinson and and mm. uh, uh, yeah. Pick pick it, yeah. Mm. Other people have written about this, and you say that it's a surprising fact that that inequality is increasing despite democracy, mm. if I understand it correctly. So mm. why is that surprising? Well, you, you, I mean, from a very theoretical point of view, you would kind of uh, have expected that people, you know, the if if the majority are not benefited by by the economic policies, for example, that are in place they would choose politicians that would pursue a different policy that would uh, benefit them uh, which would ultimately probably lead to more uh, equality uh, but that's just i mean what what governs uh, determines people's voting behavior is obviously a very complex thing and and, uh, and we, i don't think we have much to contribute to the explanation, compared to Piketty, for example, to the explanation of inequality. I mean, it seems as if if we don't get a war or some natural disaster or whatever, then the natural way for things to develop is to have more inequality. That seems to be the case. And what happened during the 20th century is that we had these great shocks. I mm. mean, we had the Depression and we had the First second, first World War and the Second World War. Mm. And that changed the picture in a way that uh, uh, um, led to more equality during some time. But now we haven't had... But there was shocks. more like an anomaly. Yeah, an mm. anomaly. Yeah, exactly. And... And there are obviously economists who who who, who are studying these uh, things, and and um, and and I I think it's important to stress that we voters we we don't always vote in accordance with our self-interest. No, I mean we are motivated by all sorts of considerations, and today I I get the feeling that we are very much motivated by these uh, very simple issues where national governments still ha have a say. I mean, should you use hijab in school or whatever? I mean, these mm. issues that... Cultural, social yeah, issues. Yeah, cultural, social, symbolic issues. Whereas these more problematic ones, I mean, how, how to organize a, a better healthcare system and so on, or a better tax system, they are much more complicated and so people don't really know what to draw, what conclusions to draw from them mm. uh, as far as their voting is concerned. So. Yeah, but then you're talking about economic inequality basically yes. here. Mm. Yeah. So um, because if you look at other kinds of inequalities, they have diminished as far as I understand. I mean, if you look at the trends when it comes to the, the view on um, homosexuality or, uh, oh. uh, f I mean, um, yeah. immigration, immigrants, people from other countries, yeah. Uh, racial issues. All these, all these kinds of of issues have have developed towards more equality or more coherence, uh, as far as I understand. Yeah. When I, when I look at the numbers, anyway, even in the United States, actually, where they right. say it's no, not that's uh, that's. Uh, I, I mean, again, I think the situation is complex, and these things are, are also uh, difficult to study because what people say in response to. Uh, you know, when they are asked by somebody, might not really represent what they think, and so on. But, but I, I agree with you that a lot of these studies indicate that in the long term, uh, development is that uh, people tend towards these um, 
more, uh, shall we say, um, I mean, they, they tend to to be more acceptable towards uh, immigrants, for example, and uh, people with uh, different uh, sexual uh, dispositions and, and so on and so forth. Mm. Uh, so, so if you look at it long term, but, but you can also see some uh, smaller fluctuations in recent years. After mm. 2015, mm. I think uh, there are some in Sweden where, when we had a, a big influx of uh, asylum seekers, yeah. people are... Some people are less uh, um, positively Pro, yeah. disposed to that. Yeah, now. I've seen the, the, that that cur- curve, that those figures as well. But it seems, mm. seems could be a hump. Just uh, yeah, I mean, it's you, you know, you never yeah. know. Was that after actually after the the big influx in 1993 of Bosnian immigrants? Yeah. we had this peak of mm. uh, negativity towards immigration in Sweden, mm. and then it went back to a, a level that was lower than before. Actually. Mm. Mm. I mean the the negativity exactly, <laughs> level, yeah. and uh, also talking about in- economic inequality. I think maybe uh, this is just a theory, but maybe people aren't that uh, that um, 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 it's not that important for them. It's not as important for them as, as it is for many many decision makers. I'm I'm, I'm just theorizing here uh, because of course a lot a large part of the inequality increase that we've seen is due to the top one percent or the mm. top. 0.1 percent mm. having increased their wealth enormously, whereas mm. the lower portions of the population haven't actually gone. I mean, they haven't. Mm. They haven't become poorer. Mm. They have also become a little bit richer. Not mm. not as much as the other ones. So I mean, the inequality is in, at the top end, so to mm. speak. It's not at mm. the bottom end. So it might have been a different story if people at the bottom end would have fallen. D- mm. drastically mm. down into poverty. Yeah, That's and if we look at, at, the, at the global situation, yeah. of course, we have gotten a, a, an extreme in- increase in wealth for the poorest people So, the last few decades, which is a fantastic thing that we should celebrate, of course. But, but I think, uh, why is an inequality problem? And I, I don't think that only left-wing econom- economists and politicians think so. I think there's a growing understanding also among right-wing economists uh, and, yeah. and politicians that this is going to be a problem in terms of the social costs and increased polarization and conflict level of society. Yeah, absolutely, and, absolutely. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. so, so, and, and it's not only a matter, I think, of the um shall we say uh, just the you know the material living conditions that you have a lot of people in sweden have access to car and computers and all sorts of things uh, it's also a matter of a sense of unfairness or i mean that one percent of the world's population controls more than i don't know the 30 percent poorest in the world or whatever it's a sense that this is uh, undermines uh, esteem to mm. some extent. I, I mean, social esteem that that people are feeling that you know why should I be in this worse situation than these people and so on, and and it threatens therefore the social cohesion of society and that we can see distinct groups which do not really share life conditions uh, anymore co- in the same sense as lo- let's say in the 70s or, or in the 80s i mean look at trump now who just got out of of uh, of a hospital uh, and he got you know probably the best medicine anyone has ever received mm-hmm. <laughs> for for this covid-19 yeah. uh, disease which is understandable of course he's a head of state and 
and uh, uh, and of course Americans want <laughs> want the government to work, but still compare that to all the Americans who, who do not have access to to healthcare of this kind and who are succumbing to this disease. Sure, and, and, absolutely. And and that doesn't confirm a picture of society which is kind of um, which is devoted to assigning weight to everybody's interests. Mm. Yeah, that's true. But this, everything is relative, of course. And you could, you could, you could just as well say that this is what's happening now. Is that because everyone is informed about everything that's happening all the time, everywhere, mm. all over the world, which mm. means that we are seeing the inequalities mm. now in a way that we didn't do before, mm. and it's obvious to us, mm. which it wasn't. My, because I mean, if you, you can, you can of course say that the difference between uh, a peasant in the 19th century, a peasant's uh, possibility of getting good health care. Mm. 1859 compared to the president of the United States 1859 was probably a lot greater than mm. the difference between a poor a, a farmer in the United States today having getting mm. health care for COVID-19 and the president can, mm. if you see what I mean the, the difference mm. is probably a lot smaller mm. but we see it now uh, in a yeah. I, I mean it's, mm. we see it so clearly because it's in the news 24/7 and no no but yeah. no one no one can ex- escape it so yeah there's also a very robust <clears throat> result from happiness research it's a happen it's a silly name but but you know people uh, psychologists sociologists are studying how satisfied people fe- feel with their lives basically and that has been going on since the 50s and there's a lot of lo- lots of data about that i mean the reliability of that data can, of course, be be questioned because this is a methodologically difficult area. But, yeah. but what it seems to point to is that it doesn't matter to us what we have in absolute terms. What matters is how much we have relative to others, the ones we compare us with, yeah. our peers. And if we, you know, if we have some salary and some other guy who, who's, you know, I, I, I look upon as as an as my equal. Has has twice that salary. That's going to hurt me more than <laughs> you know. So, uh, uh, and that also partly uh, ties into what you just said, because now we are much very familiar with these differences that exist uh, through social media and uh, and media in general and mm. so on. So so that is uh, probably affecting a lot of people. This yeah, relative. that's that's fascinating. Actually, I've I've, I've heard about. That kind of studies as well. Mm. So, uh, still uh, going back to the we and the they. I mean, uh, aren't people today uh, more educated and more informed than 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 ever? Uh, and that begs the question: Who is the elite and who is not the elite? As we were talking about before. And and uh, if politicians are. You're talking about this, the, the democracy, the principles of democracy that, that that are that people are that citizens should be allowed to vote for people who should be then um, have, get the task of, of governing a country or an area hmm. or some some place. So why are politicians better used, better better suited to to govern than, than others? I mean. Is their judgment better, or what mm. is what is a politician? Should shouldn't everyone be able to be a politician? I mean, there uh-huh. is, we're talking about the elite there because the, that that could really be mm. be defined as an elite, the the the, the professional politicians mm. who are sometimes even born into the the mm. life of being a politician, mm. uh, as opposed to all the others that 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 haven't gotten the ch- got the chance to get into that kind of realm. 
and but who might be just as uh, educated, just as informed, just as mm. wise, just as judgmental mm. as these people. So, I mean, why should they govern the country and not mm. not me and you and uh, mm. whoever? Yeah, no, no, absolutely. I think everybody should uh, uh, should be open to taking on that responsibility. I mean, to to stand for 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 some office and and so on. And, and I should I want to stress that when we use the term elite, it's not. I mean, it's a neutral term for us. We are not indicating that whoever could be called the elite is, be, in fact, better educated or, or has a better ability to make decisions or, and so on. Uh, but, but so it's just more an observation of what. Yeah, what's, yeah, what of what's, what's going on yeah. in society. But, but I would say that, uh, and I, I, I agree with you also that people are not more stupid today than before and and uh, and they are probably more well educated than if we go back a, a bit uh, and uh, when people there's an exaggeration of something has gone wrong here with the people don't believe in climate change and so on and, uh, and so forth and that's to do with the fact that they don't listen to science any longer i think that's that's an argument that can be overstated and it's not completely the right way to look upon this but um but as for politicians um they um i mean this is the idea they are not better educated when they get into office or when they choose that career than others but through taking part of this decision making mm. they are making it their job to access more information to reflect more upon these issues to to search for information and so on in a way that we the rest of us don't have time to do because we have other jobs to 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 tend to and so there is a learning process and that has also been confirmed uh, by a study which we are also citing uh, Um, which is uh, uh, done by uh, a Swedish uh, economist, Torsten Pettersson, uh, at Stockholm University, uh, where uh, he and his team have simply um, compared uh, politicians at all levels, mm. even the most um, local levels, okay. with the general population. And they are, in general, more knowledgeable about the types of issues they are making decisions about, not because they are more clever or anything, but rather because they have, and this is my interpretation, gone through this learning process. Um, they, they have been involved in politics. They have uh, learned. Um, so maybe we should have kind of a rotating system then, the, <laughs> yeah. where everyone has a duty to, to, at some point, make decisions over at least the local Yeah, I mean, we are we are considering that uh, idea to some extent in our book, and of course in Athens, uh, yeah, where, where democracy first democracy. Yeah. I mean, they uh, some offices uh, were distributed through through lotteries, mm -hmm. so so that is not that is some somewhat congenial with the democratic idea. We don't think that is a good idea, though. We think that political parties uh, are a good thing because um where people work because they were they, they they don't only make decisions they also um uh, function as think tanks so they come up with new proposals they come up with new ideas and so on and these ideas are then tested in in the public discussion and in the discussion in parliament and in other bodies uh, and we need these impulses 
we need a plurality of ideas, basically. And, uh, and they are, are developed in political parties. So what about the Swiss-type uh, model, where there are a lot of referendums? Referendum? Yeah. No, no, we, are, we don't like that. Don't like I mean, that. I mean we, we like a type of democracy where there is uh, uh, a, a responsiveness to the people's opinions on issues. Mm. I mean, uh, decisions should... Be, I mean, politicians should represent our... Not, you know, being a Stockholmer or or, 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 or or those parts of our identity, but they should represent our our views. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we don't believe that uh, referendums are... Switzerland seems to be a pretty uh, pretty well-off country, though, and uh, yeah, people are satisfied. Of course, and maybe different systems could be used in different settings, de- depending on cultural differences. But referendums, I mean, they are very... Um, as the Brexit one, for example, illustrated, they are very sensitive to, for example, how you um, define the alternatives mm-hmm. and and all sorts of things that that make them vulnerable to manipulation yeah. and and problems like that. I guess the Swiss. Um, I'm just guessing here, but I guess <laughs> that the Swiss are more used to them, uh, so they, they're not as prone to to being manipulated as uh, probably not as, yeah. as the British Maybe because not. they yeah. don't have that mm. many anyway. Mm. So, well, you you like parties and you like the party system. So, what I think I I'm seeing here, or, and and not not only me but many, is that these um, classical. I was mentioning this before. The classical traditional left wing scale parties seem to be. On their way out, or or at least they're they're diminishing. They're they're having some mm. problems uh, establishing themselves right now. Um, do, do you think that? And and we are seeing other parties. Then, of course, we are mm. seeing these left wing, right wing populist parties. We are seeing other kinds of movements. Actually, that's important. We see a lot of movements mm. going on, not least among young people. We see all these protests in the streets in many countries around the world, mm. and we see climate protests and uh, Black Lives Matter movements, protests in the United States and also across the globe because everything is mm. globalized now. Even ideas are globalized. Mm. So do you do you think that these classical, traditional 19th century products... Uh, Parties like the Conservative Party, the Social Democratic Party, the Liberal Party, the uh, somewhat newer Green Party, uh, that, that that kind of system is on its way out and there is something else coming? Or do you think that they will rebound? Yeah, that's an excellent question. And I wish I had a, a crystal ball. But but let me... So I, I think I, I, being as old as I am, I think I, I'm less good at actually uh, making these predictions as those that, that, who are younger and are more involved in these types of alternative organizations. But what, what is noteworthy is that membership numbers are going down and have been going down for a very long time. And, and I think a, a lot of the uh, organizations and, and contexts in which democracy was carried out before, when I was young in the 70s and 80s, they are kind of withering away. Uh, I mean, I'm involved in some some such uh, contexts, and it's it's harder and harder to get people to get get involved and to to you know stand for some type of uh, or take on some type of task uh, and so on. I, I think the difficulties with the traditional party system is is exactly what we started out with. That you know, it's it's very hard for a political party take take the Green Party in Sweden, for example, to pursue 
a coherent agenda when they have to rely on support from extremely uh, different um, types of uh, other parties, mm. basically. And that makes... And conflicting ideologies. Yeah, right? yeah. I mean, we can see that. And also because... Of, you know what what a national government decides upon may not come out to be true because you know uh, decisions are made elsewhere which kind of counteract what we are trying to achieve mm. i mean c- climate change is obviously a, a good example of what we do here in sweden uh, if if we only look at the things we have control of that's not going to change much no, no. but the same holds for almost every country yeah uh, Yeah, we're going to come back to that, that globalization of, of democracy. Of course, but, of course. But, but let me just finish. I mean, uh, and then we have seen the rise of other types of organizations, um, NGO, NGOs, for example, um, and they are working differently. Uh, I think they are working towards getting a more global type of influence, for example, by taking part in UN uh, processes and being active in now. They, they are revising the UN charter and system uh, and that sort of thing. So they are working differently. Um, I guess that's a new uh, movement in society that is probably going to last uh, last a bit. Yeah. Uh, and that might have... have but but really maybe it's a natural impact. thing that it's it's evolving that way. I mean, yeah. the, the parties, uh, they were created in the late 19th century, early yeah. 20th century. Yeah. It's not God-given that they no. have to exist forever. So no. may, maybe we, as you're talking a lot about in the book, the fight against climate change, maybe that, that, that uh, should take place within another kind of yeah. movement. Yeah. Uh, which is globalized in a way. Yeah, and I'm also thinking of, you know, these initiatives where, say, regions of different count- countries join together. Yeah. In, in, and, uh, you know, the the, great, the biggest cities of the world perhaps can form an alliance and yeah. they promise each other to do things uh, uh, um, with their missions, for example. Uh, uh, and that's a new type of political structure, uh, which is multinational. Yeah. And which is also very exciting. I, I think it's very simple. I, I love the, that kind of yeah. idea. And yeah, because, yeah, I'm going to talk to other people also about this nation state uh, mm. thing. Mm. If it's, I mean, I, I don't think nation states are God given no. either. So, no. so I mean, at some mm. point we will see something else. And they have borders have always changed. We forget that, but mm. they they kind of fluctuate mm. and. Uh, And what what's important for us, of course, mm. is that democracy must survive in this new exactly. <laughs> environment. Exactly. Mm. So that's why we have to talk about the um, uh, your last chapter, mm. <laughs> which is about uh, uh, globalizing democracy. Mm. And you are talking about uh, w- well, you're discussing world government, but you're not you're not um, uh, completely in agreement, you and your co-writer, no. about this thing of, of, of world government. I think you, Tobin Tensha, is more into that. Mm. You're a bit skeptical to, towards that, uh, but you you both want uh, to see some kind of. You're talking about a second chamber in the United Nations, maybe where yeah. everyone, every country is represented, and and that they're going to decide on laws that are that are um, ha- have to be followed, so to speak. Yeah, I, I mean we're in in agreement that um, we need stronger supranational uh, institutions. Uh, we need to. St- I mean, the UN is a great thing, I think, but it's much too weak. 
to help us solve, solve, solve this. So we need to strengthen that system towards, I mean, we talk about world government, world global democracy and so on, and people tend to stop listening when we <laughs> say that. But, but I, I don't think you need to really um, take that in a one big leap. I think you should see it as a gradual process. And, and it has already started, started right after the Second World War. I mean, we got international institutions. I mean, the International Crimes Tribunal, for example, and, and others. Um, and, and it's, it's a, a gradual thing, but we need to speed up that process. So, uh, as you said, the chamber, I mean, we are, we are talking about a parliamentary assembly. Mm. Um, which should be uh, established at the side of the General Assembly. So we are not saying that take that away. We, we want to create another assembly uh, where people should um, be, uh, um, representatives should be elected. And in this Parliamentary Assembly, we are thinking at, at, in the beginning, it should be purely advisory not something that can make decisions at this point mm. because that's going to be too hard to, to, to make acceptable to anyone. But if it's purely advisory, it should uh, be easier to get uh, command um, support from it. And and there is a... But uh, what's the difference between that and the, the general assembly that, that exists today? Uh, d- d- simply that uh, people will be elected democratically. Okay. okay. Yeah. In a representative. Yeah, that's, 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 mm. a, that's a big difference. Yeah. Yeah, that's a big... Uh, and because we are thinking like the national parliaments in the beginning, they didn't have much to say. The king did as he or the queen did mm. as she uh, wanted. Uh, but uh, over time, uh, it was the only body that could give decisions a kind of clear legitimacy mm-hmm. in the eye of the population. Mm. So it's very tempting for someone who has a Uh, a political will to go to this assembly and ask them and to get their support. Yeah. And once uh, it has that role, it's very easy to see how it can uh, Eventually acquire more, more, mm-hmm. mm, power. More, more power. So it starts off as a kind of a lobby organization and then... Yeah, or a forum for discussion. Yeah. Yeah, a forum for discussion. Do you see the... the, the Do you liken this with with what has been going on in the European Union, and do you see the European Parliament as a kind of role model for this kind of uh, body? Yeah, yeah, I mean, th- p- people tend to say that the EU is a is a big catastrophe and it's 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 a big disappointment, and that's true to some extent. Of course, we have all these problems with, I mean, now for example, well, it depends to, on what you expect. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> and, and and we'd say the response to Belarus. I mean, that's a good example. But but people se- more seldom talk about what the EU has achieved mm-hmm. and is achieving, and and I think it's an ex- we should see it as an experiment. It started out pretty as a pre- pretty weak thing as a club, we might say, which which countries could join and then they could discuss and then say, you know, we are going to agree on this, and 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 those types of discussions actually led to changes in policy, and that has been co- going on. Now we have a parliament more power has been transferred to, towards the parliament, which I think is a good thing. Uh, and the EU works well in, in certain respects. So so I, I see EU as a positive thing in today's... So what, what you're envisaging is, is more or less uh, a global organization like the European Union, yeah, eventually. Yeah, exactly. Without its... Maybe flaws. not without <laughs> but, uh, the commission yeah. and... <laughs> yeah. 
I, I mean, the, the, we are talking about these piecemeal steps. So yeah. a parliamentary assembly would be one thing. Yeah. We, we think there should be an international environmental um, uh, uh, tribunal next to the international cr- mm. uh, crimes tr- tribunal, for example, which could be facilitate uh, and monitor um, agreements such as the Paris Agreement and f- fine or p- in some way punish people who are not who are violating the agreement and so on. We could look at sectors. We we could take the. Uh, the the situation in in these seas in the world and uh, uh, the fact that f- fisheries are depleted and we c- we could have a, inst- a stronger institution which would focus on that mm. and perhaps partition the sea in zones and and mm. you know the ways we do it in in more local contexts so so we are we are looking at piecemeal steps but but I th- I see EU as a as a positive thing yeah. in today's you, you mentioned punishing what about the, the enforcing these yeah these, enforcing the, the new global laws that you're envisaging how, how would they be enforced yeah would I mean a, so, a, a so of course army? In, in the science fiction version of <laughs> yeah. this we have a kind of a, a global police force or yeah. a global military force mm. but that's going to take a while I think yeah. but but maybe coordination between the <coughs> nations yeah. states, different armies or police forces yeah it's in, like in the U- European Union say. exactly yeah. and some types of punishments are softer so so for example if if if, if there is a collaboration of some sort and you have some advantages of of being a part of it um, then not being allowed to be a part of it is a is a type of punishment so that's another incentive that that could could be another incentive i mean contrasted to invasion mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, another type of in- incentive that could uh, affect policy in a in a very i think uh, decisive way okay there is a one big nation that is uh, at the center of many of these discussions and ever more so it's China, of course. Mm. And there has been a lot of discussion about what's happening there. And 10, 15 years ago, there was a, I wouldn't say that th- th- there was an agreement that China was going towards, re- relentlessly towards democracy, but, mm. but many thought so, mm. me included, I think. Mm. Uh, and uh, to, to, to my and many others' surprise, it hasn't really done that. Or in some respects, it actually has, because People tend to we, we focus on the problems a lot mm. in this mm. society in this world, and uh, we we tend not to see what's actually happening in other respects. I mean, I, I, as far as I understand, the Chinese have never been as free as they are today, mm. because that country has never been a democracy, has never been free. Mm. The, the, mm. the Chinese have never been free. There was uh, the, the the emperor, and then there was uh, the communist China, and then it's still mm. called the Communist Party, which. It's capitalist, but it's called the Communist Party, so it's an authoritarian capitalist mm. state. And they're not free, but they're a little bit freer when it comes to... I mean, I, I, I understand they can protest against uh, environmental problems, for instance. They mm. can protest against corruption to some extent, or at least they used mm. to be able to some years ago. Mm. And uh, the authorities kind of change according to what, what people are saying. And they, they can travel. Many of them can travel anyway, and mm. they, they can start businesses. And so, I mean... In some respects, the Chinese have never been as free as they are today. Mm, but mm. then, of course, we look at it uh, with, with the eyes of a Westerner and see mm. that, oh, the, it's not 
they, they can't start parties and they can't vote mm. for, for, for another party than the Communist Party. So um, uh, what I want to ask is, is how likely it is that this authoritarian state, capitalist China, called communist, <laughs> uh, has actually found a regime model which the Chinese are willing to acquiesce to for the foreseeable future or how likely is the the other the other the opposite thing that there is actually some kind of political awakening in China that is closer than is obvious today mm. yeah but, uh, I'm, I'm sorry I, I don't have much to contribute with that uh, with that uh, I don't know enough about China and and what's going on there and uh, what's going to happen. So I don't think my predictions are going to be very good. But you can guess like yeah, everybody else yeah, does. Like everybody else. But well, what we are thinking. I mean, it's obviously uh, um, for those who like us are in favor of democracy. China is a big problem. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but you know, when we are advocating global democracy uh, uh, a big um, one of the main arguments for that is that we need coordination at a global level to survive as a civilization uh, climate change for example and other types of global challenges Um, no country is going to be able to escape the bad consequences of the the, the bad effects uh, of these things. And no country is going to be able to fix this by itself. They have to do it in collaboration with others. Mm. And and I think that is going to put a pressure on countries like China uh, eventually. Not now, perhaps, but... And I don't think we should just look at the present situation because it doesn't look good if you look at even Russia or or the United States as well. But uh, eventually, I think that when perhaps when the consequences are more dire than today uh, from climate change, for example, uh, there will be pressure towards more collaboration. And that, I think, would promote a more democratic uh, development in in China as well. Okay, so you mean that when the government of China, when the leaders in China, the the authorities in China are forced to collaborate more Mm. with other countries, then the even the population that this other the, the ordinary citizens of China will uh, take advantage of that, or will be there will be an opening for them. Yeah, to I think h- that how might does be that the work case, really? Yeah. How does it work really? The, well, there's an understanding. I mean, for example, we could pr- pr- put pressure on China and say, you know, you need to respect this. Uh, In order for you, for you to um, to collaborate with us, yeah. you have to okay, mm. yeah. Uh, and those types of things, and also an understanding among the Chinese population, I would guess. That you know, we need to. Uh, uh, we might need have to <laughs> to to revise this system that is in place today, but you know, uh, this is just the crystal ball again. I, I, I don't know. I, I'm hoping. I'm an optimistically inclined person, so I'm hoping that um, we will make it. And I think there is a pressure towards uh, democratization in the long run. Let's hope for that. Mm. Talking about. Uh, optimism and uh, philosophy you are after all a philosopher mm. uh, one question I because when I read your book I got this impression that it's it's a super interesting uh, um, very very um, rec- um, recommendable book absolutely but it's a kind of a it uh, displays kind of a mechanistic view on on human mm. beings actually you, you might say not perhaps not cynical but a bit technical and mechanistic like 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 people citizens are, machines uh, 
<laughs> that mm. that have need to need rules mm. in order to operate and i mean this is i don't mm. know exactly why i'm going to formulate this question but it's like um, do you do you think that humankind uh, is actually going through some kind of evolution i i'm i think so myself namely that's why i'm asking and that people are actually getting be, becoming more and more uh, aware Mm. of what we are doing and what we're not doing and what we're doing to our planet and what we're doing to each other and that love and compassion if you want to use those words are becoming more and more real things for people that they're not afraid of using and 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 contemplating mm. which would entail that maybe in 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 some future ordinary people the majority of people won't need as many strict uh, technical mechanical rules about mm. what's going to happen in society because everyone understands that we can't we can't we, we have to treat each, mm. each, each other with respect and love if you see what i mean mm. so that that would entail some kind of evolution which means that all this talk about democracy and parties and the system that has to work in order for us to to to, to not fall down into some kind mm. of chaos wouldn't be as needed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I saw that uh, when you sent me this email about uh, about this uh, uh, interview, I saw that point which you wrote, and I, I think that's a very interesting uh, point you're raising now. I mean, highly interesting. And um, maybe that's that's the, the subject of another podcast. No, no, but but let me say a few things. I mean, I think that the hardwire, the hard disk of humans. Is not going to change, I guess. I mean, it, it developed. Uh, we have been around for quite a short time. I think uh, it hasn't changed much uh, the last ten thousand years or so, or even hundred thousand years. I don't know. Uh, so that's not going to change. But given the ways humans are, I mean, the human intellect is designed. We are extremely flexible, I think, and we can change, adapt very quickly and we seldom have a, a correct understanding of how just how flexible we are so you could look at that I- in retrospect i mean i let's take a trivial example i mean uh in, in sweden we infor- we introduced this ban towards smoking in 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 restaurants and so mm. on and people said you know that's not going to work and mm. blah 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 and the day after people just adapted like this and and i think we have that ability uh if if sufficiently much is at stake i mean take the united the, the us economy during the second world war everything was changed uh so that in a way that would facilitate uh, victory over nazi germany i mean in a few years and everybody participated that's a that's something like that we need i think for for fighting climate change yeah. and i think that that's uh, there's room for that mm. in in human psychology and i think i'm a little bit maybe that's what you you picked up in the book i i and we are probably a little bit um also locked into our own you know ex- experience and history and about for example when we discuss about the drivers of people and that mm-hmm. can surely change i mm-hmm. think mm-hmm. Uh, it's just that we lack the imagination to see all these changes yeah, that are possible yeah. there's, and there's also, a tendency to extrapolate extrapolate uh, w- w- on from right. your particular mm-hmm. circumstances and 
And uh, and I like very much. Was it Martin Luther King who said that the history of human civilization is a long curve, but it bends towards the good? And and I think that is um, I, I like that metaphor. And if you if you look at lots and lots of figures uh, uh, in, in the world right now, I mean we see a decrease of violence. Mm-hmm. We see a decrease of homicides. I mean over the last. 20, 30 years, yeah. and, uh, and I think compassion and empathy has uh, has gone up mm. uh, very much. Mm. Uh, so, mm. so I am. Uh, uh, You're on Stephen Pinker's side. Yeah, I, I, am. Mm. I am. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Me too, actually. Uh, mm. I think it's the, the the bending curve you were talking about. I'm I'm talking about sometimes uh, um, a curve going up, and it's a wave, but it's inclined upwards. Mm-hmm. So, so every new trough is a little bit um, more shallow than the former one yeah, yeah. previous one yeah. but we only we, we often we, we tend to focus on the mm. the the mm. setbacks mm. Uh, especially if, if you read the news yeah and if i could say one negative side unfortunately i don't think time is on our side okay yeah uh, uh, so we are hoping that that will happen before climate change uh, makes life uh, unbearable enough and that's a discussion for several other podcasts <laughs> okay <laughs> okay folke tersman thank you so much for being a guest on the show mm. and good luck with mm. uh, with uh, your book here now mm. and thank you for all your questions mm.